Hey guys, welcome back to episode 10 of Active Duty Hunter podcast with Lance Bergevin. And unfortunately, Andrew Piercy cannot be with us today. Uh, however, I do have Houston back on the podcast from, uh, I believe it was episode four, we had him on. And uh, we just, uh, we had a lot of topics left on the table. So we're going to go ahead and hash those out, probably dive down some rabbit holes and uh, hopefully pick up some more topics on the way. So uh, how's it going, Houston? Welcome back. Pretty good. Thanks for having me back, man. This is uh, round two. It's really exciting. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's yeah. Great, great to have you back on. Like I said, we, we had a lot of topics left over from last time that we didn't get a chance to, to touch on. Uh, we were so busy talking about oh, yeah. hunting in Guam and all over the place that uh, mm -hmm. we ran out of time. So... So let's go ahead and, uh, and oh, yeah. kick it off. <laughs> so, uh, so well, how, how, how have you been since the last time we talked and, uh, have you made any progress on your, your hunting season for this year or have you been doing anything towards that? Oh man. Well, it's funny. Like the first kind of topic of, of our leftover notes was just balancing life. And it's funny you segued right into it because it's balancing life well for me has been well a nightmare these last couple of weeks with this covid stuff and the uh well the corona and now the the protesting and all that stuff like i, I get it but man it is with work schedules have changed i went to a seven day on seven day off schedule uh 12 hour shifts and and it was nice having that that extra time off because i got a lot more done but at the same time it uh it also put a complete stop on a lot of projects uh, that i just couldn't get to but but so balancing life is has been real hard these last couple of weeks. Um, well, luckily it was a good time of year. You know, coyote season is just kind of slowing down. Fishing season is picking up, but I don't have a boat, so I don't I don't do a whole lot of summer fishing. Uh, but it's my it's kind of my time of the year to to get things fixed up. I run all my gear real hard through the winter time, and summertime is like relax and <laughs> yeah, to, you know try put put the truck back together and wash my gear because it probably stinks and make sure I'm ready for the next season. So, you know, it has been, been kind of nice for that, but, but uh, yeah, but the balance has been trying to find a balance between work and play has been a lot tougher with the current events going on for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that's something that you're, you're continuously doing. It's like not, not even the fact that we have so much going on in the world today and how much it's affecting our schedules anyways, but mm -hmm. even, once the world sort of goes back to normal and we're trying to balance, uh, are we going to go hunting this week or are we going to stay home and take care of the chores around the house, take care of the family? Um, that's, uh, that's a lot of balancing that you got to do. And, and I think a lot of people, I, at least myself, um, try to knock all of this stuff out before hunting season. So it's not, Mm -hmm. not uh encroaching in your time off uh, when september comes around but yeah. uh but yeah it's yeah. That, that that's one of those really difficult things and it's going to be different for everybody really absolutely absolutely and what's funny like back to the uh everything trying to to figure out the new normal uh with the covid stuff uh my command that i work for they uh they they implemented you couldn't go one hour out we talked about that in the last podcast where we couldn't mm -hmm. go one hour away from base at least for my base uh 
and so like that cut out my my mule deer hunting grounds uh because my where i go mule deer hunting is two half three hours it depends on how fast you drive um but uh but yeah so i was like well i was, was kind of wanting to do some shed hunting get into that for the first time this year and take the wife and do some trial run camping trips because i'm hoping this year to, to get her involved in the medora hunts um because i mean I've, I've got it squared away from myself but, you know, she's never been on an extended camping trip or anything like that. So we're going to do some trials this summer and, and I couldn't do it just because, uh, you know, our, our squadron policy or our command policy was no more than an hour away from base. So, so that yeah. kind of sucked. But, um, but luckily last week or I want to say it was a week ago, two weeks ago, they dropped, no, about a month ago, they dropped, uh, they dropped a new change to the policy, an exception letter, if you will. And so they, they opened it up. And they only open it up to Medora, Devil's Lake, and Turtle Mountains, um, which are all hunting and fishing areas and camping areas. For the nice, nice. And so I was like, that was a score, you know. Now I can <laughs> finally do stuff. So now I just got to find the time to get down there with our with our new schedule I'm on. So I was on a seven on seven off. Now I'm on four on three off, and I work the weekends. So when my wife has off, I'm working nights, and when she has off, I'm or when I have off, she's, she's, uh, she's working. So, so we're trying to make some time to get down there, but, uh, just when I can clean up around the house, trying to get back in better PT shape and so we let myself go there for a while. I had a, I had a wedding or we did our official wedding ceremony in, in February and man, I ate like a king. We went up to a little <laughs> ski lodge in Canada, uh, right before all this stuff kicked off and, and I like king and what I mean is I got really out of shape. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm trying to get back on that saddle. Right so. on. Yeah. No, tons I'm, of projects though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tons of projects. Uh, I've gotten really heavy into reloading and then, uh, like I said, trying to dial the gear in and figure the gear out for, uh, for both of us going to Medora this year and then just general maintenance of vehicles is, been uh i think i probably work harder at the house than i've been working at work uh, yeah yeah that happens <laughs> yeah i certainly get up earlier when i'm doing house projects and when i go to work so yeah absolutely yeah no it's uh it's definitely a lot easier to get up out of bed when it's something that you well feel like you want to do or need to do so whether yeah, it's absolutely. hunting or doing stuff around the house yeah for sure for sure <laughs> right on so I'm guessing you haven't had any time to do any hunting though. <laughs> no, I, th I mean, we coyote season is kind of an all year long thing, but it's, uh, I just haven't been out. It kind of slows down about this time of year from, from what I hear. I'm a, I'm a rookie coyote hunter, but just getting into it. But, uh, so no, I haven't been out for that nor the fishing either. So okay. it's just been projects. Right being, on. Uh, yeah, being a handyman around the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I get that. Oh man. Right on. Well, um, yeah, I think we, I think we beat that one pretty good. Um, do you have any other thoughts on, on balancing life and hunting? No, I wish I had more, uh, more to say a better way to do it. Um, you know, I think I had it pretty figured out when I was single, but I got married in December. So now this season is a whole new change. So everything's back to square one, learning how to do it. So, so it's, uh, it's tough, man. Yeah. Uh, between a crazy work schedule, married life and, and trying to, trying to get back on the horse and, 
and not fall off for a season or two. It's, it's uh, I don't, I don't have really good advice. I'll, I'll let you know when I figure it out though. Yeah. Uh, well, right and it's, now I'm in a trial period. Yeah. And it's, it's, like I said before, it's, it's going to be really different for everybody. Like I've, you're, you're getting used to balancing life, uh, married life with work and hunting. I'm, I'm getting used to, um, having a kid now with, um, being married and working. So it's, it's, it, every step really in life adds a different cog into that wheel that you have to balance out. And, uh, it's going to be different for everybody. It's like, how far do you want to go for your hunting? How much time can you afford? How much money can you afford? Uh, so yeah, that's it, a killer. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so that's, it's, it's, there's a lot of balancing in there that, uh, that has to be in sync for everything to work properly. So, so let's go ahead and jump right into the next, uh, topic. Now that we're talking about saving or money being balanced, um, that was, uh, budgeting and, and saving money. So talking about mm-hmm. like being able to afford hunting gear or ammo or reloading equipment or new rifle or optics, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you got to prioritize what, what you need versus what you want is, you know, I, I think that's the biggest thing I want to start with is, is need versus want. I fall into it. I geek out so hard over <laughs> oh, yeah. decoys and new guns and new camo and new this, that, and the other. And, and uh, I think we talked about it a little bit in the first episode that we, we did together uh, was, you know, especially for the new guys uh, in the dorms or whatever, was like, you know, use, use what you have, you know, and put your money where you need it. Uh, you know, if you have, have camo clothing, like work clothing or whatever, and you can get away with using that you know, but you need a new rifle or, or whatever, you know, that's, that's great. But, but budget, uh, budget what you need, not what you want right up front and then buy what you want when you can. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, that's a great point that you make is I, I, I would go into it just making a list, list of mm-hmm. what you think you need and make that list and then go over it and see just what's essential. And then Mm -hmm. you could probably even cut that down even more if you're really budgeting money. Um, Yeah. When uh, turkey season this year uh, first kicked off, um, I hadn't received um, because I I invested in some camo. Um, Mm -hmm. However, it hadn't showed up yet. So me and my buddies just went out in our OCPs, just took our, our tags off and, uh, and it worked great for turkeys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly. Well, I, I, I actually kind of feel rather silly that I, I spent so much money in camo and now we're in OCPs and it's like, I got a bunch of uniforms that are stained up that I wouldn't have any issues taking out in the woods and use them. So, and they're, they're very comfortable too. Yeah. So those new OCPs are great. But, um, but yeah, no, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it last time. I've got this old geezer, uh, old guy retired 20 years out of the Air Force. He was a jet mechanic, and then he cross-trained into AETC, uh, or tower, excuse me. Uh, great guy, but he's mentoring me through all this stuff, and he really mentors me on reloading. That's something that I've picked up the last year or so. And he feeds me humble pie every day. <laughs> every, I spoke with him for two hours today, and the whole conversation, I was just eating humble pie. You know, and... <laughs> And I bring that up when we talk about budget. I can show you here while we're on the video. I've, I'm in my reloading room. I have a, a dedicated room to to reloading and hunting and stuff like that. 
And when I first started out, I bought, I thought I had to have this, this, and this, and this, because this is what the precision rifle guys are using. And I wanted the most accurate loads I could get out with the cheapest ammo. And yeah. it's great and all, but, um, you know, this old man has been doing it for 20, 30 years and he's got friends have been doing it longer and shoot competitions and the gear he's running is a quarter of the price that I paid for all of my gear. And, yeah. and, uh, and he showed me pictures. He's got a, this gun or that gun that, I mean, at a hundred yards can put five bullets in the same hole, you know, <laughs> just make the hole a little bit bigger. And, you know, I had all this equipment that was twice as much as he had and I just couldn't I wasn't quite figuring out he's like but you don't need all that do you really need this do you really need that so so it's uh like this the reloads I shot yesterday morning out of my uh heavy barrel AR uh I was one of the loads came out where I put five shots in the same hole nice. uh, at 100 yards and I was super impressed it was all the equipment that he used because I had I bought another set of equipment because I wanted it you know and I bought all the same stuff he had to, <clears> to understand so now I have two setups and, and that stuff is half the price and I got, you know, half MOA at a hundred yards, you know, with yeah. cheap ammo. So it's serving a humble pie. And so, you know, tying that back into the budget, man, it's uh, you don't always need the best stuff. You know, the experience is where you, where it really makes a dividend. I mean, some of the equipment you have to have, you have to have, but the experience outweighs any dollar amount that you can put on uh, gear or whatever so so with that budget man I, i'm kind of a hypocrite uh, i wish i had a set budget uh the wife's really stinging me to it this year where we set out a budget and account accounted for every dollar for the rest of the year and and this is going this way and that's going that way but used to when i was single i just as long as the truck was full and and i had groceries in the refrigerator and the and the the bills were paid everything else was my budget <laughs> yeah yeah, bills are paid, bellies full, budgets the rest of it, and, and I, I got a reenlistment bonus a couple of years back when I reenlisted. That was uh, that was my tag budget. Uh, so when I reenlisted, I got a times two multiplier, and, and I'm not going to go into details too much, but like every year I get, I think it's like thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars uh, as a reenlistment bonus, like a, a segment every year. So that's okay. my tag money. That's that's my. If I need something to buy it, you know, for the next year, but ultimately if I don't need anything outright, that's what I use for tags. And, and so that's, you know, that's not going to be everybody, but it's something to think about. That's money that I had no use for to begin with. And so now it's just extra that I get to get to put away. Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's kind of nice to have that sort of that cushion that you can mm -hmm. fall back on, especially with some of the things like, uh, like the out of state, some of the out of state tags can get pretty pricey. Um, oh, yeah. it's like, if yeah, my I, first, I, my I first had a state tag was Colorado. It was 650 bucks. Exactly. I ate that tag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I applied for, uh, pronghorn over in Oregon this year and, uh, I probably won't draw it. Uh, the application was cheap, but if you draw it, you're into it $400 for the tag. So yeah. So knowing that you've got that money to fall back on when the draw results come out uh, is something you got to keep in mind. Uh, I know some states like uh, Idaho here, I applied for moose and they take the, the tag fee uh, along with the application. And then if you don't draw, they just return the uh, tag fee back to you. So yeah. 
you got to pay it up front, but at least it keeps you from spending it before uh, results come out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And it's like I said, it's nice to have that little bit of cushion. If you know, not everybody's going to have an SRB to play with, but uh, if they can put something like that away yearly, even just for tags, because you know, just like what you're saying, like the, the Randy Newberg model, if you will, for applying for tags where he talks about, you can apply for all these different States by this month, this month, and this month. But, and a lot of them do, they take it up front. So you have to let them sit on it till they decide. Exactly. So. Um, so now another, another side of saving money that I kind of wanted to throw in there, um, is something that I definitely use a ton and, um, I know some people don't like to do it that are military members, but companies that offer military discounts. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that. There's a lot of companies uh, that offer military discounts. Some of them you have to go through uh, a third party. So uh, some of the, the um, websites that I go through are like Expert Voice. Uh, there's yeah. Guide, Guide Fitter. And then one that one that I recently started using is called LEO Adventures. And uh, the only reason that I joined LEO Adventures is because they offer military discount for Sitka. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I didn't know about that. And I know directly from the website, um, a lot of other companies, I, I like Kuyu and Fast, uh, not Fast, First Light. Yeah. Um, and I know First Light, uh, uh, they they offer I don't want to say it was ten maybe fifteen percent. You have to send them a copy of like an LES or something, some kind of proof of hey you're in the military, and they set you up a separate account. Yeah. But uh, but yeah no I I am not me personally I'm not ashamed every time I buy anything and hey you offer military discount I don't I don't mean to rub it in I'm not trying to be you know crazy about it but it, yeah you got to stretch that dollar especially on a military dime you know and I'm saying that as a tech sergeant but when I was an airman, I was hunting twice as much as I do now. And, and, you know, the gas tank doesn't fill itself up. And that's, that's where I've got to say probably 75, 80% of my budget goes to is the gas tank. Um, I'm yeah. just driving roads, getting out to where I got to go and then put miles on my feet when I can. Exactly. Um, so, so I think another, another one that I've uh, used quite a bit too, and I actually got a buddy that just bought, uh, started process of, buying camo gear his first set is uh under armor um mm-hmm. they offer one straight from their website and they just verify that you're military at checkout um yeah. now i'm not gonna say how much the discounts are but yeah. it, um it's way more than what you're getting at sportsman or cabela's when you get your military discount at the register nice uh, i didn't know that so um it is, it's definitely worth it to look into that. If you're a military member, go check out those websites. Um, make sure if you're, if you're looking at like Under Armour gear, their stuff is really nice. Um, my buddy just got a set. It's really nice stuff. And with the military discount, it makes it very affordable, especially on a military yeah. wing. So definitely, uh, yeah. Definitely try to take advantage of of those discounts where you can. It can mm-hmm. it, it can definitely help you get the gear that you need. Um, that uh, and then it'll leave you extra fuel money and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, and and you know I mean in budget you know not everybody needs camera right up front. We talked about need versus want. 
Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm again, eating a lot of humble pie, realizing I don't need as much camo as I bought. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love to water. I love to waterfowl hunt. And when I first started waterfowl hunting, I was like, Oh, you had to, you know, watching Willie Robertson on the, the duck commanders and all of them, they head to toe camo <laughs> real tree. I mean, everything you couldn't have your, your eyes needed to be camo. And that's what I thought. And I started showing up to these North Dakota guys hanging out with them and they're all in blue jeans and a white t-shirt and duck hunting and they're just slaying it. And I was like, oh, yeah. what in the world is this? And I, if I had, you know, just jeans and t-shirts, we lay, we, we field hunt, we use layout blinds. So you, as long as you have a camo hat and your face is tucked down in the reeds and you're fine, you don't need, you know, this, that, and the other. And so I watched, uh, there was a, a video, I want to say it was one of the decoy companies put out and they were talking about wearing black hoodies in this video. They're trying to make a point because everybody loves their black hoodies. And so they took a drone and they, they set out this full decoy spread. Uh, and I think it was snow geese. It was like 2000 snow geese decoys. They set out in this field. Wow. They took a drone. They flew it 250 yards away. And then they would, they would track it every 50 yards all the way into the, the kill zone right in front of where the blinds were. And so they had the guys in the blinds and then they had one guy standing up. They're all wearing black hoodies. And, uh, and like, I think it was like a hundred yards out maybe even 200 yards out, you could see the guy wearing the black hoodie. It was a speck. It just looked like a speck in the, in the, in the field, but you could clearly see it was almost like he was wearing blaze orange. It stood out that much because it was just a jet black hoodie in a brown field. So like I love to wear Carhartt clothing just because I'm tough in my jeans. And so I love Carhartt tan. Uh, it's just anything tan, like our Santees. We used to wear their ABUs or, um, our Coyote Brown, t-shirts we wear with our ocps uh just a neutral color it doesn't have to be camo um tan tan pants tan shirt and a tan hat that's all just kind of a neutral color uh, and i'll wear that when i'm out waterfowl hunting just uh you know if i'm if i'm out of the blind and i just happen to get surprised by a couple of ducks they don't immediately see me and i get away with a whole lot more than if i wear like a white t-shirt or a black t-shirt or, or something like that but it, you don't need six hundred dollars in camo just to do this i'm wearing my coyote coyote brown shirt from work and twenty dollar jeans you know exactly and, and that works for that situation there are different situations you know if you're bow hunting you know and, and you got to get in close you need it all but sometimes you don't you know a lot of a lot of the old guys wear red flannel and jeans and have <laughs> massive deer hanging on the wall doing that so it just just depends but back to need versus a want you want it or can you, can you get away with it or do you absolutely need it? So. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely a, an idea that needs to be really thought through when you're, when you're starting the process, getting into hunting, um, or if you've been hunting for a while and you're considering, Oh, should I invest that money into, um, a new camo setup or whatever? Um, is it really necessary? Um, do you have something else that should take precedence over it? Um, so, so yeah, uh, there's a lot of a lot of wants and needs, a lot of knick snacks and gizmos, and, yeah, and whatnot. Oh yeah. So um, you got to really think think about it, and uh, and you've experienced it. Um, and I've I've found in the last couple of years that the best place best place to get any information is the old guys. You listen to the old oh, guys absolutely. talk. And that's going to give you the best information you're going to find. Yeah. You're oh, going to, you're going to get some, 
some uh, stuff that they're that's parcel to them, um, but uh, yeah. some some gripes and whatnot. But for the most part, they've got a lot of good information that can be uh, can be shared, yeah. and most of them are willing yeah. to sit there and talk to you about it. Yeah, you have to weed through it, but it's just like the internet. You get on forums, you have to weed through all the crap that's on there just to get that little piece of information. But it it makes a difference. And in, in podcasts like yours, you know, this is you know we're not the old guys, but we're, we've got enough experience to talk about some things here and there, and that's that's awesome that we can pass that along. That's give you a shout out. I appreciate it. You know, give me this opportunity to kind of give back to some, from what I've learned in my experience. And, and I've appreciated the second time being here on the show because of it. So, Oh, but yeah, sorry for sidetrack. But anyways, yeah, no, it's uh, there's a lot of good little tidbits you can pick up from, from old men and old women that, uh, that old geezer I talk about his wife runs with him and it, she just laughs and talks about all kinds of stupid things that I'm doing. And <laughs> she gives me humble pie too. And so I'm not just, it's all around. It's, it's funny right on cool cool all right so um something that uh, that one of the old guys would probably laugh at most hunters for is a big old lifted loud diesel pickup going out in the woods chasing deer <laughs> all right now you now you're calling me out i just bought a big old diesel <laughs> truck it's not lifted but it's my little tech sergeant gift to me and my wife was let's buy this truck no but anyways hunting vehicles uh i was segued into this this is so much fun everybody laughs at me but but it's so effective um so i started out with a 2000 gmc sierra and i'm just talking a gasser that was a two-door long bed and i had a camper on the top and i could sleep in it i could throw my decoys in the back and anything i needed to do it worked um for the most part, I never really had any issues with it, except for the gas. Uh, you know, I keep bringing up gas. Gas is the biggest thing that kills me on my budget. And this thing, man, it had the six ohm motor in it. And uh, if I was going downhill with a tailwind and something pushing me behind, I could probably get 10 miles to the gallon. But for the most part, summertime or winter, I got six to eight miles a gallon. And, and I know when I'm chasing, when I'm chasing ducks in the in the the fall. Uh, it's nothing for me to drive up and down roads looking for fields to hunt and put 200 miles on my truck, you know, on top of the 100, 150 miles I put on my truck a week to drive back and forth to work because I live uh, 14, 15 miles away from, from base. So, you know, it's it was nothing to go through two, three gas tanks in a week uh, during the wintertime. So I had to figure out something to kind of, stretch my dollar because at the end of the season from November, December, I was like, I had to start cutting out hunts just because I couldn't afford to, to go scouting with the gas that I had. Um, so, so here's my big surprise is I bought a 2000, uh, Subaru Forester. I'm talking the wagon, okay. and, uh, four door wagon. And this thing's a little four cylinder, uh, they're all wheel drive and, uh, and it's manual. And, uh, and I had a friend a long time ago that, that had one would fall tires it was beat up and man we uh it fell off in a ditch it was parked in it the on a hill and it fell off in a ditch and i remember starting it up to get it out of the ditch and it drove itself out with bald tires and two feet of snow (laughs) the thing doesn't weigh 1500 pounds with me in it and it's all-wheel drive and those little four-cylinder motors are just strong but it gets 21 miles gallon so yeah so i bought one and it's pretty beat up i think i paid two grand for it it's a winter beater but the heater works and the, and it drives and the headlights work, but I get 21 miles a gallon. doesn't matter if I'm driving like Kent block 
down dirt roads or if I'm driving like grandma up to base, like it, 21 miles a gallon really extends my hunting season. And, and the cool thing was, is since the Forester is like a wagon, uh, has that hatchback and extended the four doors and everything, I could, for hunting season, I could fit two dozen Canadian goose full body decoys in there, plus my blind, my shotgun, and all my gear, and still have uh, my pasture seat left over to put like a lunch and everything. And I could go hunting with it. And I've got tons of pictures of me taking the Subaru and going hunting full of decoys and <laughs> this, that, and the other. And I would, at the end of every hunt, I would take picture. I'd take all the, the birds, you know, the, the grip and grin picture I would take would, would be with the Subaru with all the birds lined up on the top of it, you know, uh, uh, to sidestep a little bit. The funniest story I ever had um, opening season, a goose season. We have an early goose season here in North Dakota because they're such a nuisance. Um, I went and parked at the one entrance to this field where I was hunting. And, and I, I had seen somebody driving by it the day before when I was scouting on it. And so I was like, I'm going to beat him in there. And so I worked swing shift. So I got out at midnight. Well, actually, got, I got cut out at like 10 o'clock that night. So I went home, grabbed all my stuff, threw it in the Subaru. And I drove out in this field. And I set all my decoys out, set everything out. And I brought a sleeping bag. And so I drove my, my Subaru back up to the, the one entrance. And there was an old beat down barn up there. And I parked the Subaru right beside it, tucked in this brush so you could barely see it. Just so the, you know the geese couldn't see a car parked on the side of the field. It's kind of a dead giveaway thing for them. Uh, so I went back to my blind at like midnight and I just fell asleep because I can hear the geese first thing in the morning. I was like, I'll just sleep in the field and wake up to the, to the geese. And man, I thought I was the slickest man in town for doing that <laughs> until I woke up to gunfire. It sounded like a war zone going off. What had happened? A guy was 150 yards behind me. And he had set up his decoy spread, the guy that I saw the day before. Turned out it was a buddy of mine. I didn't recognize him. He had bought a new truck. But he had come in at 4 o'clock in the morning, drove in the field, set up his decoys behind me, like 150, 200 yards, never saw me out in the field. And he went and parked his truck over by where I parked the Subaru. And so I woke up to gunfire because the geese were flying into his decoy setup and he, uh, he, you know, started blasting away and he got a limit real quick. And so I walked over the hill and I'm just standing there looking at him and he's looking at me like we, we made eye contact. <laughs> Where, where'd you come from? <laughs> like right here, my blind, all this, that. Noise. So I walked over and we, we, we talked for a few minutes and he's like, where's your, where's your truck at? I was like, I didn't drive my truck. I, I drove my Subaru. It's my hunting vehicle now. He was like, that, that Subaru at the entrance? I was like, yeah. He was like, man, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I drove right past that, and, and uh, I thought maybe some tweaker had left it out here. You know, like, <laughs> some tweak because the headlight had fallen out when I parked mm. it, and I didn't see it. I had a, I had a headlight that was kind of held in with some zip ties. Well, the headlight fell out, and the window was cracked. And, and so he was like, yeah, it looked pretty beat up. I thought, like, some, some drug addict drove out here in the middle of the night, and was was tweaking out or something and left his car or whatever <laughs> he's like i never even thought it would have been your, your hunting vehicle so i walked him over and showed him a whole spread and i was like yeah all this fits in the subaru and and so it was kind of funny i even fooled a hunter you know with nice. a little setup and nice <laughs> yeah but yeah. It's, it's so funny man i love that thing i've i've all different kinds of hunts uh with it and it's you know it 
I'm not afraid to beat on it. Like I said, I, I spent two grand on it. The AC works, the heater works, and, and it actually is kind of fun to drive. It's like a little go-kart, but it holds all the stuff I need. There hasn't been a single hunt I've been on, a solo hunt. Like if I took a group of people out, that'd be a different story. But just by myself, that I couldn't fit everything inside the cab of that thing, and I just go with it. And even, uh, God, I don't want to say it was two years ago now, um, I harvested uh, my first uh more mature buck and my first bow kill is archery bow kill and i was driving a super so guess what the buck went in the back seat <laughs> i laid the back seat down laid the tarp down and there's no there's no tin on it um i didn't want it to look like i was kind of a rice or anything like that so i didn't put any tin on the windows and i was driving through town and i didn't even think about it and i was starving like i was getting hangry and so i stopped <laughs> pulled through mcdonald's and i was like well i'll grab a sweet tea and like a, a, a something off the dollar menu because i was scraping by for my budget um and like the lady kind of looks at me weird and she like at first she offered me like a pup cup like if you go to most stores they'll offer you like a little like cup full of cool whip for your dog <laughs> Because all she saw was the nose sitting over the back seat. She was like, oh, what kind of puppy do you have? And I was like, what puppy? <laughs> and then I looked back and I saw that nose. I was like, that's not a dog. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I got to explain something to you real quick. And I got to send you pictures of that because it was so funny. I have a bit uh, of a pretty nice eight-point buck with a real big body sitting in the back seat of my Subaru. Uh, it's, just, it's been a hilarious adventure. But, but, but I bring all this stuff up because – you don't need a truck and, and actually I, I think the exact opposite you should uh get away from the lifted loud trucks you need something quiet something that you know you're not sneaking up on anything with a vehicle in general but i've noticed even with my old truck my old truck had a had a, a mild exhaust on it and it had my buddy drive it we're down there in medora and he drove a, a half mile away and i could still hear the exhaust uh, he yeah. was in the next valley and i could still hear the truck going down the hill and then when he went back up the hill it was really loud so i was like well if i can hear it and i got a little bit of hearing loss because of my job then i know a deer can hear it so hey, pup. and so i was like oh you know those loud trucks they're not doing you any good they're gonna scare everything away before you get there but that subaru man that thing is so quiet uh a hundred feet away i can't hear it driving down the road all i can hear is the tires on the gravel and that's not too loud you know so it's it's quiet, it's sneaky, and 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 it's a blast to drive, and and I always get a laugh out of people. They're like, "That's your hunting truck." It sure is, <laughs> and it saves me money. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I so I had a uh, my my daily driver is a, uh, a Chevy Duramax. It's an old '03 Duramax, and that thing, hmm. it's it's got a muffler on it, but it's it's still it's still noisy. So. Um, so that, that's kind of out of the question for going back and going hunting that on top of it, just being freaking massive. Uh, it's not, yeah. lift, it's not lifted or anything, but it's a crew cab long bed truck. So oh, yeah. going back on those, uh, those forestry roads isn't in, in, in a whole lot of fun. So I've had a, uh, yeah. I've had a Polaris laser, uh, razor since, uh, about 2014 mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, I, I've been using that to get back to the trailheads and whatnot. And uh, this last year, and I don't know why it never clicked with me before, but this last year when I was out during hunting season, I was sitting up on a ridge doing some glassing. And uh, 
and I was hearing how noisy everybody else's side-by-sides were. You could hear them from a canyon over, that, two canyons yep. over. It's crazy. You don't hear it because you're in the city, but once you get out there in the woods, yeah. it really echoes. And even with the stock exhausts on them, they're still super noisy. Um, yeah. So I actually, uh, um, I was able to sell it uh, just recently, so that was kind of nice. Um, and I picked up a little $2,000 Nissan Frontier, little little crew cab, pick, crew cab pickup. It's got a camper shell on it. And uh, it's got tons of room in it, tons of room. It's yeah. got AC, it's got heat, it's fully enclosed. And that was, that was another thing with the side-by-side this last year is out uh, getting bundled up to go do scouting because it was snowing. And it's yeah. not, it's a, it's an open cab. So you're having to wear snow goggles and everything. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it was rough. So, so having a cheap little vehicle that's good on fuel, um, whether it's all wheel, all wheel drive, four wheel drive, little pickup or something yeah. like that. Um, mm-hmm. it can be really beneficial and it's a lot cheaper than buying a side by side or, Taking, oh, a big, absolutely. taking a big truck out into the woods or something. Well, yeah. And that's, and that's another thing. And, and, and I'm, I'm kind of a car guru myself. Uh, well, I say car guru. I just love cars. I love things that, that go vroom and, and can go fast and, and go anywhere. But um, yeah, no, I mean, those side-by-sides, I've got some buddies at work that have them and they're, they'll drop 10 grand on them. And like I said, that Subaru I've got, I paid two grand for and the side-by-side you have to trailer it. So it's extra gas because you're having to pull a trailer. And this, I don't, I don't pull a trailer. I drive it wherever I want to go, and and I put a little bit nicer tires on it, some some um, some winter tires, and I haven't had any issues. And I'm not afraid to beat on it. There's a trail that has branches over the top of it. I'll go right through it. If it scratches the paint, oh well. Whereas yeah. with my diesel that I just bought, uh, I don't even like want to think about taking it down a gravel road. It's got chrome <laughs> on it. It's white paint. It looks good. Like I'm scared to take it hunting. That's that's a show truck almost, you know. It's just so nice to me. But that Subaru, man, it I would put that thing through mud, snow, whatever. I would be kind of sketched out and put my regular truck through. So uh yeah, no, it's it's been a fun. And just like you're saying, like with your Nissan, man, it's you know, it's cheaper, it's multi use, you know, you can use it for all these things and and if you beat on it, if it breaks, oh well. Like my Subaru, it actually, I've had it for three years now. And, uh, this last winter, it finally died on me. The transmission locked up. Uh, and I'm, I'm teetering on the idea of, of getting the transmission rebuilt or just sending it to the junkyard. Cause it would, uh, it, 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 I could almost buy a brand new one for what most transmission shops cost <laughs> to, to yeah. rebuild a transmission. So I'm, I'm teetering on that. So there's a few other issues with it, but still, you know, I've had it for three years. I've gotten my money's worth out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned uh, in a brush and stuff like that. You know, a lot of the, the forestry roads here in Idaho, there's a lot of them that are really, really overgrown. They just don't maintain them. And mm-hmm. they're, they're down to about wide enough for maybe a quad, but they're still open for whoever can get down them. And yeah. so I, I tried that with the side-by-side this last year. And I was feeling bad because the razor is, it was really nice. It was practically brand new because I've been in the military pretty much the whole time I've owned it and, yeah. and haven't had time to use it or tear it up. 
So I'm out there and I'm worried about the brush scraping up against it, getting whacked in the face by branches and stuff. So, so with this Nissan, it's like, I'm not, it's got scratches and dings and stuff on it. I don't care. I can, I can go down those roads and not care. Just fold the mirrors in and just hit first gear. Just go. (laughs) Yeah. You know, push comes to shove. The worst thing that happens is you you crack your windshield and, you know, depending on your insurance or even if you have a, a junkyard nearby, those older cars, there's a dime a dozen of them. You can go pull a windshield for 20 bucks. And if you know what you're doing, throw it in, you're good to go, you know? Exactly. Right on. And they're so easy to work on. But yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I get so many laughs out of my little Subaru and I really want to fix it up and, and, uh, and get it going back again. And I'll send you some pictures. It is just a blast, man. And I'd put it, I'd put it anywhere you take a four wheeler and I'd put it anywhere you take a truck like this and it gets 21 miles a gallon. So, Oh, and another a side note thing. I learned this. So uh, I've been watching the born and raised outdoor guys on YouTube. Uh-huh. Love those guys, uh, born and raised outdoors. And, uh, you know, they were talking about, there's one episode that they were talking about, they had like, they were joking around about their decoy truck. They had a truck with all these branding stickers on it, Vortex and Yeti <laughs> and all these things. And they put it and they would, so, you know what, it might not have been them. I'm sorry, I backtracked. It was one of the, one of the other shows I was watching and they were talking about, yeah, we go park this trail hood and we don't go in. And so that way everybody's like, oh, the rich hunters are in there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll all chase that truck the truck that they're recognized for they'll all like all the hunters will be passed by and they'll be like that's the spot where those guys are going must be a good spot and then they'll drive a little beater truck and they'll go to the spot they're actually going to and and so it's funny you know we talk about lifted trucks and you know if you got all the stickers and the decals on there you know if, like all the hunting brands like Kuyu or Sitka on the back it's like <laughs> I don't I don't do any of that because I feel like you're advertising one for people to come join you and two you know uh uh that's also advertisement for theft uh you know if you put in i have leopold scope sticker on my my truck with a power rifle sticker or hoyt bow sticker all that stuff they're gonna you know somebody wants to grab some stuff they might kind of start peeking in your windows when you got stuff like that well exactly and if you if you leave your gun case or something in your truck even though your gun's not in there you're out hunting yeah they're going to see the gun case and they're going to be like, Oh, well that must be uh, uh, whatever the sticker is on the window. And they're going to go ahead and break your window, find out that it's yeah. not in there. And now you've got a busted window, even though you didn't lose your gear, but still, it's opportunity to steal the truck too, you know, leave our trucks by the road. So, so often, and you've got a nice lifted diesel. Somebody might want that nice lift of diesel, but that Nissan Frontier, nobody's going to think twice about. Same thing with my Subaru, like the guy I mentioned earlier. He drove right by it thinking it was some some tweaker's car. That car ain't worth $100, you know, but he sure didn't think about looking in it to see if my gun case is in there, that's for sure. Exactly. He could just toss an old nasty tarp over the top of your stuff, and nobody's going to think twice. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Cool. Yeah, so... Yeah, that definitely covers uh, at least those vehicles. I know a lot of people like to get uh, like those little dual sport bikes and stuff like that, like little uh, TWs and and stuff like that that can be street legal. Um, that's kind of a it's kind of a cool option to get back a little bit farther, um, like on the dirt bike trails. But uh, but it's not super necessary, and it's just it's just more no, ex- it more be- expense. 
Yeah, it could be anything. Like I said, I've got the Subaru, you've got the Nissan, and you just reminded me. Uh, I don't want to dabble too much into it, but um, to get sidetracked. But my uncle, uh, I used to grow up hunting white-tailed deer in North Carolina, and and so a lot of the hunting style there is setting up a tree stand, mm-hmm. setting up a bait pile because it's too thick to go in and hunt uh, spot and stalk or anything like that. So that's how we hunted. And and you know when I was a real young boy, I'm talking 19 years old when I first got into hunting. Uh, he bought a Buick Oldsmobile. I'm talking grandma car. And uh, across the street from the property that he leased lived an old preacher couple. And he got permission from them to leave his truck over there because he had a jacked up lifted truck and it sounded really nice. And during the summertime, he would always use that truck to take corn or to take in his tree stand or if he was going to go clear shooting lanes, he'd use the truck to drive in there. And then one, one time he picked me up to take me out there in the Buick and, and asked him, why do you use the Buick? And he was like, look, he's like, there's a preacher couple that lives across the street. They all drive Buicks. And so I drive a Buick and they let me park over there. So I look like I'm, I'm over there. And he showed me, he, find, he harvested this really nice 10 point. And I'm talking really nice for the area. Uh, 10 point white tail buck and uh and he said i i guarantee you it's the buick i was like what do you mean it's for like some good luck some superstition he was like no i drive that truck all the time and that buck his bedding area is right by the road so he knows i'm coming in those woods when that truck is parked across the street he has me pinged like he knows danger is related to that loud truck <laughs> but when i drive the I, but the one time i drove the buick I walked right in there and he was standing out in the middle of the field, had no clue I was even around. Oh man. He's like the animals figure you out. He's like, they'll watch you and they'll learn your patterns. A good old mature animal, whether it's an elk or a, or a turkey or whatever, if you're going to a consistent area a lot, they'll, they'll, they'll watch your habits just like you're watching their habits. And, uh, and he, he dedicated it all to a beat up Buick Goldsmobile that he parked at a preacher's house. Oh man, that's oh. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Right on. So there's, it's multifaceted, but I love the hunting vehicle talk because it's, it, it really blows people's mind. Everybody thinks you have to have a jacket lifted truck. Nope, buy your car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In a lot of places you can, you can get to trailheads with a two wheel drive or front wheel drive car and you save yourself even more money going out in like a little Honda Accord or something like that. So it doesn't, most of your, your forestry roads are really well maintained, at least over in these States over here. Um, Mm -hmm. and you can, well, for North, for North Dakota, sorry to cut you off for North Dakota example, I wanted to butt in on that. Um, 90% of, I'd say even more 90% of the state is there's there's no roadless areas in the state. You know, you go to Idaho, Montana, there's roadless areas. You got to hike in North Dakota. There isn't. Mm, that I know of there's not a whole lot so a lot of state and city roads uh, out in the country because this is agriculture country um, is gravel roads that are very maintained so like I said that's why the car works so well for me and, and even down there in Medora where I hunt for mule deer um, it's oil country and a lot of those oil roads are BLM roads because they're through BLM land so the access isn't that hard so a car works for me just fine. So, you know, just like you're saying with forest roads, there is a lot of the places we hunt aren't that hard to get to with something that's not full wheel drive. Yeah, they're, they're really not. Um, so if that's something that you think is holding you back from going hunting, 
Um, if you're thinking that you need to have a Jeep or you need to have a truck or something like that, just uh, think about where you're going hunting and what you're hunting for. Mm-hmm. Most probably 98% of the time, you're going to be able to drive right to the trailhead or wherever you're going to be hunting and do all your scouting and whatever in a small car and save yourself mm-hmm. even more gas. So um, yep. it's something you really got to come to terms with. I know everybody wants an excuse to buy something <laughs> new, but it's not always yep. necessary. goes back to the budget, what you need versus what you want. Exactly. Exactly. It's just, that's, that's all this, this lifestyle is. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, the next topic, uh, that we had on the list was on base ranges and, or hunting on base, uh, mm-hmm. depending on what base you're at, how big the base is. Uh, sometimes they'll have skeet ranges, rifle ranges, They might even have opportunities to hunt on the base itself or the property. So um, have you had any any experience with that? Yeah, absolutely. And and my career hasn't traveled greatly. I haven't gone all over the world, but I've I've been a few places that some of the people listening to this have already been to. Um, But there's opportunity out there. They're just not very well advertised. That's something you've got to do your research and, and you got to get out and try and find it. Um, San Antonio, uh, uh, Texas, Lackland Air Force Base, you know, where we all start as air, as airmen uh, in the Air Force, you know, we all start there. Uh, or no, excuse me. Uh, I went to Wichita Falls for my following training mm-hmm. for my tech school. Um, I know at, at Wichita Falls, uh, they have a skeet range. They have a full, like, competition ski and trap range. And it's on base. You don't have to leave base. It's uh, like a half mile walk from the dorms, but they rent out shotguns and you can buy ammo. So you literally don't need anything. You know, I went there for tech school, so I didn't couldn't bring my car or my firearms or anything like that. But if you still want to, you know, if you're on a TDY or something like that, there are a lot of bases that still have plenty of opportunities. So they had a skeet range. They rent me a shotgun for, I think it was like seven or eight dollars and then another five dollars for a box of shells. And it was like $2 for one full round at the range. So I think I paid 15, 20 bucks and I got to borrow a shotgun, buy a box of ammo and shoot a full round at skeet. Um, while in, while in Wichita Falls, uh, I was thinking Lackland, that's why I brought it up, but it was Wichita oh, yeah. Falls. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of bases that have that. Uh, I'm stationed at Minot up in North Dakota and we have archer range. Um, a, a full 3D archer range. The archery programs ran by the Outdoor Rec, which most of these programs are ran through the Outdoor Rec. They're kind of a morale program. Mm-hmm. And uh, the archer range is phenomenal. Uh, they have a 3D archer range that uses all like Morel 3D targets. Uh, I don't remember what the other brands were, but I know it starts all the way from, they have like a raccoon at 10 yards and it goes up to a full size uh, caribou and a full size moose they put out 70 80 yards gotcha. and then they have big block targets that they put out on like a competition range so you can shoot 10 yards out to 80 yards um, and it's all this little area it's pretty cool it's a walking trail so you start at one end and I think it's a quarter mile walk whole trail and you just walk and 
they have like a little paint stick in the ground beside the walking trail and you can get to the paint stick and you look to your left or right, whichever side the trail is, and you'll see uh, uh, a doe 3D target or a bear or antelope. And it's, it's pretty cool. So that, and that's on base. Um, and then uh, it's, they have a whole archer program. And the other part of it is they have two indoor ranges. So the outdoor rec office <clears throat> has a indoor 15 yard range. It's just like something you'd see at shields or, any of your big box stores for testing bows, um, you can go in there and they have a whole wall of brick targets. So you can shoot at them and sight your bow in and get things dialed in. And then on the other side of it, they have, uh, uh, God, I'm, I'm brain farting the name of it, but it's, it's an animated, it has a screen and then a big chronograph the size of the room. And they have to, ha you have to give, or they give you special, tips for your arrows like field tips but they mm -hmm. look like a mushroom they're blunted out and you shoot at the screen and the screen has sensors in it through the chronograph and through a video that's placed behind it so the screen is just like a projector screen that you watch a movie on at the theater or something like that and so it projects out a live action movie of an elk down at the river or a deer walking through a field or whatever and you can it'll stop it or move it or, or whatever and they even have competitions where they throw up fun stuff like zombies coming at you <laughs> or, or uh i did a competition one year and one of the oddball curveballs they threw in there was they would have a white screen and then a fly the fly was like two or three inches big and the fly would fly around on the screen and it would stop for two or three seconds then it would fly again and stop and you had to pinpoint it and you had a second or two to get a shot off before it moved again so you either wow. had to sit there and hold it draw it was pretty crazy but all this is on on base the you know right down the street from the dormitories right down the street from the housing and you have to get a membership uh to use all this stuff but the membership's 20 dollars a year wow that's and, that's very affordable and it covers all of that stuff and then for the guys and the guys and gals that are in the dorms that membership also covers storage. So we've talked about you can't store firearms or bows in the dorms, even in the parking lot in your car or whatever. Well, for bows, this, this membership covers you. And in that uh, range area indoors, they have lockers, full-size, five-foot-tall lockers. And as long as you, you can get a bow case that fits in there, you, you get a locker dedicated to you. You put your own lock on it. You just have to give them a spare key in case like a, a fire or a theft happens or whatever. And that covers that too. And you have access 24 seven to that room. You have to go through like the lodging facility to get the key to that room and then take it back. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit here and there, but you have somewhere where you can legally store your bow and all your bow equipment on base if you're in the dorms. So that's a cool option. And it's part of that $20 membership. Yeah. It might have changed now because that was four or five years ago. It might be a little more expensive now. But, yeah, when I was doing it, it was like 20 bucks, and that was awesome. I was doing that all the time. Like, even, like, in that range, you can use all the time, too. So, like, the indoor range, the 15-yard one. I remember I was working an exercise. Uh, it was, like, a 12-hour shift, and I took my lunch break, and I went over there and, and shot some arrows, you know. I think we kind of already covered that. We talked about that before, but it was pretty, it was pretty fun to, to do that. Uh, membership covers all that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, it's really, uh, it's one of those things that a lot of people overlook uh, when they get to a new base, especially if they're new in the military, um, go and visit the outdoor rec. They're, 
they're going to know everything that's going on on base, uh, probably some stuff off base events and whatnot. Um, I yeah. know pretty much uh, every base I've been to so far has had at least a skeet range. Um, here in, uh, in Idaho, we've got a uh, skeet range, we've got uh, archery range, and uh, it's just really nice to have that stuff right here on base, even though you essentially could just go right off base and be out in the desert and, and shoot your own stuff. But if you don't have a clay yeah. thrower, um, you don't have somebody else to go with. You can at least go there. Or if you don't have the experience too, you you go to these places and they have experienced people that can walk you through it. Exactly. Uh, and like you said, cool. rent, renting equipment is a, uh, is a huge thing too. If you don't have a bow already, or you don't already have a shotgun, um, that's stuff that you can rent and uh, figure out if you actually want to invest in that for that new sport. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's other opportunities I've, I've talked about before too. Uh, I went to was it Isleson mm -hmm. uh, up in Fairbanks um, last June for uh, was it Red Flag the exercise Red Flag and uh, and so I was you know I, I didn't I didn't end up doing anything with it but I was just kind of looking because I learned about all the stuff without direct and I was looking through that direct and I saw that they had a moose hunting application and I was like you're you're kidding me on base you can hunt moose and sure enough when i when i got up there uh i talked to some of the guys that were stationed there and they have a huge moose population on base because a lot of the base is wooded yeah and some of the and i don't know if there's fencing that's open or whatever but they do have a lot a large population of moose that just live on base and so you can get a moose hunting license to hunt on base and, and it's pretty common a guy that i knew that was stationed there years ago uh i asked him about it because he was and mine up with me and, and he was like yeah I've, I've killed moose on base before it's it's pretty crazy you go you know uh he was like i would take my lunch break and run a trail and uh, right behind work basically and, and there's moose out there you know so uh and my dad said the same thing so my dad was in he was in from 1957 to 1962 uh, and he was security forces down at warner robbins uh and warner robbins he used to come on base i don't know if you can anymore it's a reserve base now but he hunted deer and pig uh, all the time on base. You know, you just had to go check in with the cops and let them know, hey, I'm carrying a shotgun over here or a bow over there. And it, yep, have at it. You know, yeah. so there's tons of bases that are big enough to have opportunities mm -hmm. like that. Uh, yeah. Guam, we talked, I think we, yeah, we talked. Yep. Yeah, we, we talked, talked a lot Guam about a lot last time. Yeah, I hunted like crazy when I was over there. It was on base. It was a little weird because it was a separate side of base. You had to leave base to come back on base, uh, but it was still on base. Uh, so I got to hunt there and, and I got a couple of pigs there, which was pretty fun. Right on. So there's yeah. a ton of opportunities, but you have to search it out yourself. They definitely don't advertise them. Uh, they try to, but it just, it just seems like it doesn't get, it's not effective. Uh, advertising just doesn't get out there like it needs to be. Yeah. And you know, I, actually I was talking with a couple of buddies about it the other day. Um, you know, when you first get to a base, especially like, especially when you're new in the military, you have those first term airman, uh, classes or your, uh, uh, welcome to the base, uh, meetings where everybody goes up in front of you and gives you your spiel. But like at that point in time, everything is one in one ear and out the other. 
And so it's yeah, kind of yeah. kind of hard to absorb everything that's available to you. Um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna hold a little bit of that information, but for the most part, a lot of it's gonna squeak by. So mm-hmm. so just keep yeah, in no, mind. Yeah, no, it's funny. I- I uh, I was pulled to, to teach an F-Tech class one day because uh, I was a resiliency trainer. And at the end of it, uh, you know, we got a, a, I let the class just ask me any questions they wanted to because I had like a certain a lot of time and I covered everything pretty quick. And, and so me and a buddy were teaching it. And, and uh, this young, young girl stood up and she was like, hey, uh, you know, you have a country accent. You kind of talk like you, you hunt a little bit and you fish a little bit. Uh, so, so tell me what's the bow fishing opportunities up here and i was just blown away i i've only heard of bow fishing i've never done anything like that and, and so we got to talking and, and i told her about like the hunting and fishing opportunities and and she pulled up her facebook and she was like yeah well there's this bow fishing club right off base and this that and the other and so there's you know i've been here eight years and there's opportunities stuff that i didn't even know about uh, but this girl found it. She was really G whiz with, with Facebook and finding different groups. And she was really into that. So that was pretty cool. She taught me something in FTAC. But yeah, no. And, and when you brought that up, we actually just got a couple emails this, this last month um, where they're trying, FTAC's trying to incorporate uh, a lot of clubs. They want a lot of people to put together these clubs like the chess club or the hunting club or like a rod and reel club that just kind of expose what you can do for this situation like we're talking about to the FTAC, the, the first term airmen and and people who are new to the base like, like hey this is what you can do here so trying to put together people to teach these FTAC classes just to explain this stuff but yeah that like our FTAC classes is seven days long and like the first couple of days you're sitting and talking with chiefs and commanders and getting that stuff out of the way and it's like oh it's mind numbing so it really is and by the time by the time outdoor rec comes in to talk to you or security forces or any of those any of those other people come in you're already fried and it's like all right just keep talking keep talking hand out your brochures so so yeah yeah. but that's yeah that's a that's a that's a good place to to get in you know and and learn some stuff but yeah i think it just it's just got to be done a little bit better you know it's just like with all the emails every time i check my email about 90 percent of it i delete and i probably should look at but just uh you get so overwhelmed with all the emails they're overwhelmed with all the information that doesn't matter to you and, and they're all trying to do you know their due diligence to get the information out just like we are so yeah exactly and on yeah yeah, but yes, yeah, so. so that's yeah, hunted in Guam. You can hunt in Alaska. You can shoot in Wichita Falls, Warner Robins. There's you just gotta you just gotta get out there and look for it. Outdoor Rex, the best way to go. Ask them; they'll they'll point you in the right direction. Absolutely, yeah. They're they're kind of like the subject matter experts on that. So uh, talk yep. to them. Oh, and talk in Facebook. Like I said, that girl taught me about Facebook. You know, I'm pretty into Facebook myself. Uh, just Google. Uh, there's all kind of hunting clubs or retriever training clubs or archery clubs or bow fishing clubs, whatever they have Facebook pages nowadays, look at your social media and just search base activity, whatever, hunting, fishing, whatever, uh, or the town. And you'd be surprised what pops up. There's a lot of good information there. Absolutely. And, you know, so speaking on that, so since we talked last time I went on Facebook and I started, uh, I joined a couple uh, hunting groups from Guam 
and uh, they're always posting pictures of those uh, those sandbar deer that they're harvesting down there, their pigs. And Isn't that uh, crazy? And it's 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 awesome. It's awesome. There's some guys that'll post videos of their hunt. They'll post their pictures and whatnot. And it's it's really cool to see that. And and it seems like it's a really good place to get information too, because you'll you'll see a new hunter or uh, somebody that's new to Guam pop up on there every once in a while and be like, "Hey, I'm new to the base. Um, what can you what can I do here? What do I need to do?" And everybody else just jumps right in and, and helps them out. It's really uh, it's really cool. So yeah, with with social, yeah, you'll you'll get some, you'll see some riffraff every once in a while. But for the most part, the majority of the people that do hop on there is pretty cool, and they'll really help you out. Like I said, I gave that guy that name, the Saint Peter Saint Nicholas out of Guam, man. I mean, he just he walked me through the whole process of hunting out there, even to the point, and he gave he let me borrow a shotgun, and let me sit in his tree stand, and. It, it was just like, yeah, just have fun, man. You know, there, there are people out there that want to help you as much as they want to go hunting too. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. So that that's a, a really big asset that I think uh, a lot of people should take advantage of as well, being as big as social media is. Um, really just uh, go ahead and jump on social media if you're planning on going to a base. Uh, if you're PCSing or whatever, if you're still in tech school and you got your orders, um, just just go ahead and look on Facebook and just search for that area and hunting, and more than likely something's going to come up, so you can sort of get a head start on what to expect. Yeah, I actually just did that myself the other day. Um, I hope not to jinx it, but uh, I was looking at the overseas listing uh, that came out. And so the first thing I did was when I saw the bases that popped up, I was like, Facebook, uh, hunting here, fishing there. And a lot of stuff came up. I didn't even think that there was hunting or fishing there. And they're like, yeah, there's this page and that page and pictures, just like you're talking about Guam. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree. It's, it's really, really cool to kind of, especially if you can connect with people ahead of time and just get in there and start talking to them and because uh, yep. a lot of those places that are overseas um, they have a lot of rules and regulations as far as firearms and archery equipment shotguns um, and registration registration tags. tags all that stuff so being able to get that stuff started ahead of time or knowing what you're getting into uh, a lot of those social media pages can help you out with that uh, because I know trying to go to the fish and game or department of agriculture websites, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff to, to weed through to get to the information you're looking for. It's not always. The yeah. It's just like with my experience going to Guam, their game and fish websites, one page. Uh, it's like the whole game and fish department's like five dudes or five people. And, uh, and so I had no clue what I was getting into. And I hooked up with the, the Peter St. Nicholas guy on the Facebook there. And, and he was like, yep, nope, just go here, do this, fill this application out, uh, pay $35 and you're good to go. They just really just cut all the, the learning curve, uh, substantially. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that, uh, that covers that topic pretty well. 
All right, so after a little bit of a technical difficulty, we are finally back and uh, we are going to jump into the next topic uh, that we wanted to cover. And that is volunteering. Um, and we're gonna sort of give our opinions on the matter. And, you know, honestly, I, I'll, let me start off real quick. I, I think it can be really beneficial for at least our military members out there um, because we're, we're always being pressured to do volunteer stuff, help the community out and whatnot. Oh, yeah. And as military or as uh, hunters, um, you know, that's something that you can do to really help the rest of the hunting community. You can help to increase uh, species numbers by volunteering to help out with whether it's fishing game or your favorite, uh, wildlife conservation group. So what are your thoughts on that, Houston? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> conservation runs in our blood. You know, I mean, you look back to the Teddy Roosevelt era and everything in our history, you know, Game and Fish is all volunteer-based, you know, or at least the, the programs are set up that way. But, you know, just uh, that, you know, it helps us kind of segue into it where it's like, you know, hunting as an active duty member, we can, uh, we can volunteer not only you know, for ourselves, for volunteer bullets, you know, when you're looking at your EPR at the end of the year to make yourself competitive for promotions or whatever, or just checking that box that your supervisor asked you to check off, but also, uh, you know, getting out there and giving back, you know, the, the, the land is, is so fruitful, giving us the opportunity to, to hunt and fish and collect game, but um, to give back and, and to preserve that like conservation efforts uh, at the same time, is just a win-win. You check both boxes off two birds, one stone, so to speak. Yeah, and I absolutely love that. And that's uh, made a huge change for, for my Air Force career. Uh, Cause I've always hated that, you know, here in Minot, we have the state fairgrounds uh, for the entire well, the state fair for the state and everybody and their brother goes to volunteer to work concessions or security or, uh, ticket, you know, this, that, and the other, and the funds go to the maintenance professional, the year award banquet at the end of the year. And it's a great bullet because you're working for something for a, a squadron and a wing unit volunteer opportunity, plus community relations downtown. But, you know, like when I explain to my, my troops, now that I'm a supervisor, is it, uh, when that commander's going to rack and stack, you know, when they're talking about the promotion statements, when they're talking about award packages, when they're anything that has to do with your performance report, you know, what's going to make you stand out is what's going to, what's going to, going to make you shine, you know, and, and I've looked, I've sat on a couple of these boards, um, just looking at like BTZ packages and such and uh, BTZ blow the zone for early promotion. And you see like this guy, you know, he's a good worker, shows up on time, keeps clean uniform, and he volunteers at state fair. Well, so does everybody else who's going up for BTZ. So how do you separate that? You know, yep. and, and so the first thing I did um, when I kind of, that light bulb clicked for me is I taught hunter education. Um, and I only did it for two years. I, I was really just an apprentice, but, um, but on my EPR, I now have a bullet that says, Hey, I gave back the community by teaching a safety standard for the state. You know, when you talk safety, the air force is all about safety. Absolutely. So that really, that really stood out. And, and, you know, I think that might help with my promotions and such like that, but it's just, Cause that commander, he's looking at those EPRs, those bullets, and he's saying, state fair, this dude did state fair, this dude did state fair, this dude did state fair, you know, what separates it. And, and so when he got to mine, he said, oh, Hunter Education for North Dakota is a volunteer, and 
you know, you can throw up some big numbers. My numbers weren't even that big, but I, I taught, uh, I taught three classes um, and I had 80 to a hundred students total okay. uh, in each class, I think was 20 some, some hours taught. And, you know, so you can, you can really dabble that into a, to a nice bullet, but not even that side of it. I mean, that's a, that's a selfish side. It's really nice to have that bullet side of it, but also you gave back that's 80 to a hundred people that I helped get into hunting. Yeah. You know, that's some, that's that old man we talked about the other day that, that passes along information. You know, I helped with that. I, I helped that many more hunters get into it. I helped that many more conservation uh, efforts happen because, or, or whatever it may be by hunting, you know, that many more people might get involved. Even if one person out of that whole group of 80 gets involved mm-hmm. and goes back to the land, you know, I helped them get there by, by going through that process. And there are other ways too. Um, I've helped out with some local chapters of uh, like pheasants for was it pheasant forever, pheasants for the future. They're it's kind of like Delta Waterfowl and Ducks Unlimited. They're kind of the same same thing but different. They have their own niches that they fill. And I've I've uh, helped out with setting up and some of their um, their fundraisers and helped them <clears throat> get together things. There was one time I was gonna uh, help help them transport a bunch of pheasants for a pheasant project uh that ended up falling through but it's pretty cool to be able to give back to the land and help with habitat management habitat you know um preservation and and that's just fun man like you see the videos the the game and game and fish department releasing uh bald eagles in the wild or pheasants in the wild or you see a bunch of deer <coughs> that got moved or animals get moved and that's so cool man that's and you can go help out with that stuff they're always looking for help because game and fish department um you know, they have decent manning, but sometimes they just don't have enough manning to get all these projects done because they have to do law enforcement and so on and so forth. Exactly. And so you can get out there and get a, get with the, the, the organizations for conservation. Um, my newest one is I, I'm really liking the backcountry hunt, back hunters and anglers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, a, there's a new chapter that started in North Dakota not, not a couple of years ago, and, and I'm starting to kind of like dabble in that. And so last summer we went and cleaned up a, a campground down in the Medora, the campground I used to go hunting in. Uh, we re- uh, we, we graveled the parking lot. There was an outside uh, toilet there and we repainted it, and put a new roof on it and did all this stuff. And that goes back to so many other hunters that use that. Uh, and so it helps out, you know, the hunters that are getting out there using that, that restroom, using that campground, allows them to have a nicer place to go to. And, it goes back to the community, but also, you know, you, you get a sense of pride of it that you, you helped out and, and, and in a roundabout ways that goes to conservation. And there's so many different ways to do it. Absolutely. Um, you yeah, just got to get with, with local groups and national groups and, and, and just volunteer. And then all that is so much fun and it goes on your, your EPR, you know, it's true. just a double whammy and that's awesome. True. And, you know, uh, so, uh, Earlier, we were talking uh, about uh, like habitat management and stuff like that. So uh, one of the big groups that does a lot of habitat management, at least over here in the Idaho side, um, is uh, RMEF. And uh, the local chapter here in Idaho, uh, they, they put together events all the time. Uh, actually, coming up here in July, they've got uh, some habitat management uh, or improvement uh, events going on where you're going to be just working the whole day clearing some brush out of some aspen stands and stuff like that. And just trying to, trying to clear it out, make the the habitat that much better. Um, so, and they do that stuff all over the state along with getting more uh, access to public land and stuff like that. So um, getting out there and, and, and 
being a member of those groups is one thing. Um, your your dollars definitely help, um, but they also need boots on the ground. They need they need people uh, to help them out with these projects. So um, so if you're a if you're a member and you've got a little bit of extra time or you would like to volunteer, um, I know a lot of those webs or the, a lot of those uh, groups have websites you can go on there and sign up to be notified when there's going to be projects in your area. So, mm -hmm. so just being yeah, aware of that. It could be all kinds of different things. It could be setting up with their, helping them with their fundraisers yep. or campaigning or, or even uh, uh, just doing these projects. It doesn't have to be the hard sweat blood and tears projects. It could be the, the fundraising, selling raffle tickets, whatever it may be. You're helping out them which is helping out the community and in conservation. So whether you're doing five minutes selling raffle tickets or a weekend like that, that cleaning up the, the park or the, the campground that that took me a weekend, but it was so cool because I drove down there Friday night, stayed, um, I love to camp in the back of my pickup truck and uh, I camped in the back of my pickup truck, hung out and in the morning before everybody woke up, I drove around and did a little preseason scouting nice, the area nice. that I hunt in and, and so it was a double whammy. I turned it into a scouting trip and I got to volunteer and help out, put a little sweat equity back into the wildlife. Uh, and then also when my EPR came around, I got to put that on my EPR. Man, that looks so nice. Even though yeah. it's just a, a, a weekend cleanup, you know, everybody else has got state fair. And here we got, you know, Sergeant Williams has got, uh, you know, cleaning up a, a campground, helping out the Forest Service in North Dakota and, and aiding to conservation and just on and on and on. I don't even yeah. remember how that bullet was written, but it sounded <laughs> you, pretty, pretty cool. Oh, yeah. You know, and there's all kind of different things to do with that. Uh, it just really makes you stand out. That's, that's the selfish side of it, which isn't really that selfish because you're giving back to the community and it's so nice. And do something that's fun. That's, that was the biggest thing that kept me from doing volunteer work before was it was just a checkbox on the EPR. It's like, I don't really care about that. That doesn't help me with my job. It doesn't help me. But when you get to go do something that you enjoy in, in you know, uh, an atmosphere that you love to be in, you know, that, that really goes a lot farther. And you'll want to do more of it. And that's just, that's so awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it does, like you said before, it, it does help you stand out. Um, having something different on your EPR than than what everybody else has got, so mm -hmm. so you're killing multiple birds with one stone in that case. So yeah, all right. Um, so I I don't have anything else to throw in there for the volunteer side, um, other than you know with the the COVID deal going on right now, um, mm -hmm. and it's been going on, you know the first few months of the year is when a lot of these groups try to do a lot of their fundraising events and their banquets and mm -hmm. things like that. And with the COVID happening, um, they had to cancel a lot of those events. So that's yeah, tough. That, we've seen some of that here in this state. Yeah. That really, really affected those, those, uh, those events, those banquets where they rely on for funding. So, so if you are a member of those groups or if you're not, Go check them out and become a member. Consider donating you know, what you would have given if you had gone to an event or something like that. Just to keep that in mind, to try to keep the, the funding going back into our uh, conservation. So, mm -hmm. all right. So, uh, the next topic that we had on here um, is something that we've actually been dealing with quite a bit. Um, 
but also so that the topic is the odd hours of being in the military and then absolutely and how that can actually be beneficial for us as hunters so my take on that is you know most people that have a regular nine to five job civilian job they really only get weekends to go out and do the weekend warrior deal now with the military you could end up with a schedule where um you could have a couple days during the middle of the week to go hunting um you know be able to take time off so you know, as military members, we could take advantage of that to go out when nobody else is actually out there hunting and not forcing yourself to deal with all that hunting pressure. So, Oh yeah. Less pressure, more opportunities. It's just, it's so wonderful. You know, it's, it seems like a curse at first, but it's really a blessing. Once you get into the hunting season, you look at it, you know, like, right. uh, We just came out of, we were on seven on seven off shifts. Now I'm on a four on three off. And so like, I, I personally work Thursday night through Monday night, you know, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. But, uh, but, but come Monday, Monday morning, I'm getting out of there and I have Tuesday, Wednesday, then back to Thursday, uh, that I could go out hunting. And I've seen it so often, you know, come Friday evening, Saturday morning, you go into the woods and it's like the deer know something's up and they just disperse and you'll have an area that's just, so pressured as soon as the first truck door slams on Friday evening, you don't see a deer, a turkey, or nothing in the woods. Everything yeah. turns quiet. Become Tuesday morning, everything settled back down, and they're like, "Oh, everybody's back out, and you know, all the animals are back out because all the all the hunt weekend warriors are back to work." And and so it really catches them off guard when you sneak out there because it's your weekend during the middle of the week. Yeah, and so that's pretty awesome. That even if you worked like before all this Corona stuff started and the COVID stuff started, I uh I worked a regular Monday through Friday schedule. I work mid shift, but uh, even you can work with that stuff and still be a weekend warrior. Uh, I, I love this story. I worked swings for like a year to when I was in the dorms, and it was so cool. I mean, I was a little bit younger then, so my body could sustain it a little bit better than it can now. But uh, swing shift was uh two thirty p.m till midnight and so i would i'd work those hours i'd go home as soon as i got back in my dorm room i'd pass out and then i'd wake up at two three o'clock in the morning so it was basically a two three hour nap and i'd <laughs> go out set my decoys out uh for for goose hunting and waterfowl hunting i'll, I'll talk about that a lot because that's my big kick um and then i would i would hunt until nine ten in the morning because by then i was either limited out or all the birds were already gone and i didn't get a single shot either way it was a hit or miss but that was my hunting time and so then i came back and i'd you know clean game put it in freezer and be done with it by 11 o'clock noonish and i would uh take another two three hour nap and go back to work and i'd do that every other day throughout the week so that way like i do that on monday tuesday i'd sleep 12 hours to catch up and then Wednesday I'd do it again and Thursday I'd sleep 12 hours in my off time and, and so it was nice because that Monday Wednesday Friday those birds weren't pressured they had no idea what was going on they were only skeptical of things on Saturday and Sunday and I would hunt all I'd hunt three times a week whereas uh my buddies would maybe get one hunt in a week you know so yeah it was, it was really nice to be able to do that so just you know really realize what time you have to dedicate, you know, to the military and, and, and don't, you know, beat yourself to death, 
you know, working these odd hours plus not sleeping because you're up all day. But, you know, if your body can sustain it and you can get in one or two extra hunts a week when nobody's out and around, you're really surprised the, the success that you'll have. Um, oh, absolutely. Weekend warrior time. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't get in that whole mindset. And, and you know, you know, a lot of people are like, all right, well, I'm in the military. I can't really do anything else. I don't have time to do anything else or there's nothing oh, yeah. to do around here. You, you gotta, you gotta open your eyes and, and make it happen. So. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I mean, I'm very passionate about it and I push myself to the limit. So there's definitely been a couple of times where, you know, I had to figure out that Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule because there was a couple times I'd do it and Thursday roll around and I'd start get a cough and a chuck, you know, uh, a chest congestion because I was getting a cold because of where my body sits in. So I had to cut it back and uh, I could probably still kind of maintain that now if I was on sleep shift and mid shift's kind of the same way. You can, you know, if I work midnight to 6 a.m. and, you know, I can sneak out there a few minutes earlier or whatever, then that's fine. If not, you know, at least I'm, you know, I can hunt the evening, say on, on, a, on a mid shift schedule. So yeah. just, you just got to figure out what works for you and what works for your family and, and get out there as much as you can and, and make it work. Uh, uh, I've really like hated that. I've heard so many, so many of my buddies that have gotten here from other bases and they've said that same thing. They've been in 10, 11 years. And they're like, Oh, I haven't hunted since before I joined. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, I just don't have time. And, <laughs> and so I take them and show them what my schedule is looking like. And I'm like, yeah, I'm working as much as you are. What are you doing? You know, yeah, exactly. like, let's go. Like you want to go, let's go. It's, it's tough, but you got to grind sometimes, but you know, hunting, hunting isn't an easy sport. You know? No, it's not. No, it's challenging. And this is another factor to the challenge that, you know, just like bow hunting versus rifle hunting in the debate back and forth. It's a challenge and everybody has their own challenge. And that's the cool thing. You can put in as much as you want to get out of it. And so us, you know, if you're an odd schedule, make it work, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Yeah, um, that. yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I had on it. And, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've always mm -hmm. had the mindset being in the military. It's like, all right, go to work and then leave work there and then have your hobbies and what you enjoy just to sort of detach yourself, detach your mind so that you, you can relax your mind a little bit because work can be pretty stressful, especially in the military. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so make sure that Absolutely. you're Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I'm, I'm at a, a base where we see a lot of that with, uh, I don't know what to call it, but, um, a lot of mental stress on people at this base yeah. and, and we suffer with a lot of that, you know, uh, not going to beat around the bush everybody's seen suicide in the military it's it's epidemic that we're dealing with not only active duty but veterans too and yeah and you know you've got to have your outlets you know uh, i grew up in the era right after the era so all my all my previous leadership was the ones that you showed up and you did your work and you were work 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 all the time and you know i believe that you definitely need to be an airman or a soldier or a sailor you know, you got to hold yourself to a higher standard, but you need to be able to detach because you're going to burn yourself out. And that's what led a lot of this, uh, country to the, to the mental, uh, I don't know how to say this, just to the mental struggles that, that people deal with now is they don't know how to detach and they burn themselves out. And, and I think so many people would be uh, better off if they, if they did that. And that's why I love the hunting. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. My first two years in Minot, I, I didn't have hunting with me. I didn't bring my bow or my guns up here. I didn't know what I was doing because I'm just a Carolina boy. I never knew how to hunt the prairies. I knew how to hunt the swamp, but not the prairies. Yeah. And my my mentality was so much better 
when I finally got back to the nature, when I finally got back to the woods and was able to detach and able to stress relieve, you know, and just get out there and see a sunrise and see birds cuffing in the distance to your, to your decoys and, you know, harvesting that game, like all that just, it relaxes the mind so much. I don't hardly drink anymore. Like I used to drink pretty, pretty good when I was younger. And now I'd maybe have a beer here and there just because my, my decompression is in the woods, not yeah. behind the bottle. And I see so much of that up in my base that it's seeing people turn to the bottle and that's not healthy at all. And, and, and whereas hunting is very healthy, you're very active lifestyle, you're eating very organic food and there's just so many benefits to it. So it really, really helps out getting out there and, and doing so. Exactly. And, and another, as, another aspect of that is, is having something to be proud of. I know it's, it's kind of hard to have something to be proud of when you're just working a regular job um, or you're, working your your job at, in the military it's kind of hard to be proud of something really um so <clears throat> if you can't find that pride at work to be proud of mm. go out and and find that hobby and and for us that's hunting and and being able to harvest an animal and feed on that animal all year long like there's pride every time you cook up a steak or a burger or whatever mm. it may be and it's just, it's something that warms your heart back up every time you, you pull a big old chunk of meat out of the freezer for dinner mm. to, feed, to feed your family. That pride is there again. So absolutely. It's so, so nice. I actually just had some, <clears throat> some elk meat for lunch. Uh, nice. My wife made some like loaded sweet potatoes and she made them like nachos where it was uh, early sweet potato fries. She made like nachos with elk meat on top and everything. Oh man, it was wonderful. And it was so cool. I told my barber about it. She was super jealous. <laughs> absolutely yeah no, it's it, it's amazing it's it's definitely a feeling that you don't really you can't really understand it until you experience it it's uh it's, it's really really interesting so all right so now out of the uh out of the emotional stuff <clears throat> um let's uh oh, let's no. get into something that's a little bit more uh more laughable in most cases and that's uh military safety briefs uh <laughs> So yeah, no, this is this is wonderful. Uh, so depending on your depending on your command, I have seen, um, it, depending on where you're at, who you work with, uh, some commands will require a safety brief for darn near everything. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so at least at least from what I've seen, it's probably just best to make sure that you know, when you get to a new command, make sure to talk to your supervisors, your leadership, mm -hmm. and just be like, Hey, so this is what I like to do. This is what's involved. Uh, what do I, what safety briefs do I need to sign off on? Uh, you, you're, yeah, you're, and, it's, you're, and it is <clears throat> good. Go ahead. Oh, oh I was, I was what say, I was, you know, it just, <laughs> sorry. Go on. Uh, no, what I was going to say is you're, you're a little bit farther in the leadership game than I am. Uh, I, I just put on staff, so uh, you've had to Congrats. deal with that a little bit more than I have. Um, yeah. But uh, so, so go ahead and speak on it from your side. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm a brand new tech sergeant, so I can't say a whole lot, but I do have a little bit of experience. So my, uh, I took a break from maintenance for a couple of months and I worked CSS, commander support staff, and um, I was a, a programs manager, so you know those commander programs uh, like safety and vehicles and motorcycle safety, on and on and on. And I was uh, I was in charge of the motorcycle safety, and I helped out with the squadron safety. And so one of the things I'm glad you brought this up is is to really highlight 
uh, you know, statement you made earlier, it's different for every command. So used to, when I came in, I came in eight years ago to the Air Force, uh, every member had to have uh, a safety brief. And what it was, a form that you filled out, and it was basically a, a document telling the commander, hey, I'd love to ride four-wheelers or hunt or shoot or fish or, I mean, skydiving was on there. All these inherently dangerous activities, anything you could think of, uh, you know, underwater basket weaving. Uh, things like that um, you had to put on there and so you'd have a, a sit down interview with the commander once you filled it out and it was how much experience do you have in it is there any safety classes you can take or you should have taken i.e hunter education um, you know what what kind of level of experience you have that way you know it kind of tells the commander hey who am I talking to am I talking to a guy who's never picked up a firearm before and wants to go bird hunting or am I talking to a guy who's been hunting for 15 years he's third generation you know and and the commander will sit down and dictate, you know, what, what kind of briefing he's going to give. And it's just a safety briefing saying, hey, you know, if he has to set some standards, like, hey, if you've never been a, um, if you've never jumped out of an airplane before, I would like you to take a couple of uh, parachute jumping classes before your first attempt out of the airplane, you know, so you know what you're doing. Um, or if you're an experienced para-jumper, then he'd be like, all right, man, just make sure your, your stuff's squared away and, and your safety standards are met and you're good to go but you, you got to cover that basis. And so that used to be mandatory. Um, and if you were injured and you didn't have that briefing, you could, you could just about kiss your career goodbye. Um, they'd have to do a line of duty determination if you weren't fit for work um, and, and decide whether to, to kind of keep you in because you've kind of damaged government property. Cause you, you know, at the end of the day, you know, after we raise our right hand, we are, government property i hate to say it that way but it's 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 prude as it is we are we belong to the dod and so uh i grew up at a beach uh in north carolina and there's a marine base right next right downtown or right right down the road and i heard so many times uh through friends that you know marines would get sunburn on their shoulders and neck you know second degree sunburns and they couldn't go ruck their 10 mile ruck or whatever they do they couldn't perform their duties carrying their their weight in the squadron and they would start getting paperwork. I'm talking article 15 because they damaged government property and they can't perform their job so on and so forth when it could have been preventable by just wearing some sunscreen. And the same thing with the safety briefing, you know, if, if you don't, if you got injured, say, uh, broke a leg while climbing a mountain or whatever, and, and you didn't have that safety briefing of sitting down with the commander saying, Hey, this is what I like to do. Then that, 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 that could hurt you. That could really hurt you in your Air Force career. But, uh, right before I left the CSS job and came back to maintenance, um, there was a change in the AFI that it was up to the commander's discretion. So the squadron I was in at the time, the commander was like, no, nah, I'm not too worried about it. Um, Y'all are all adults. Take care of yourself. And then I moved, I PCA'd over to another squadron. And the commander at the time was, hey, yes, we are still doing that. I, I still want that to be a thing. And so it just depends. So just like you said earlier, check with your, your section chief, check with your first shirt. Uh, heck, you bump elbows with the commander, ask him. He might know. Um, well, he should know, actually. But, uh, but yeah, you just got to check. Make sure you have your bases covered. Um, and sometimes they'll ask you to do different things like hunter education or take a firearms handling class or, or whatever it may be. But that's, that's between you and the commander. And, and they just want to know that you're, you're, you're doing it safe because you – they care about you and your valuable asset to the military. You know, they put thousands of dollars in your training. They don't want you to get injured or something over something silly, you know, like handling or whatnot. Yeah. So it can, it can kind of be a pain in the butt. 
is I know like I was looking through the paper the other day, there's a list and it's not all inclusive. There's a list of all the, the things that they recommend you do the safety briefing for. And it was firearms handling, uh, four wheeler riding, archery, uh, mountain climbing, uh, trail riding on with a four wheeler. Like there was all these multi-facet things. So, you know, at the end of the day, I needed 17 safety briefings. Well, maybe I can just put it all on one or two pieces of paper and then do all the briefings all at once and just tell yeah, them, right. hey, look, I like to hunt in the backcountry. I like to ride my four-wheeler and so on and so forth. So, but just get that knocked out. Don't put yourself in a bind. I'd hate to have anybody enjoy their their lifestyle of, of being, you know, hunting and, and fishing and stuff like that and then get uh, hemmed up with the, with the military because they didn't fill out a piece of paper. Exactly. Exactly. Your basics. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for jumping on that topic. Um, you had a lot more to say about it than I than I did. So yeah. Um, no worries, man. But uh, all right. I just had a lot of experience with that. Yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they, you know, they they really focus on like motorcycle safety and whatnot over here in Idaho. But uh, it seems like mm-hmm. the other stuff they can sort of get away with putting it all on one briefing and. Like, all right, well, you know what you should and shouldn't do. So carry on. So, all right. Um, so the next topic, um, you know, is going to be sort of dependent on what state you're in, really. And that is the idea of possibly being able to get refunds for tag purchases or, um, or if you applied for a hunt and you were successful and and then all of a sudden you get orders pcs orders or a deployment or a tdy or something like that um Mm -hmm. have you looked into that as far as in your states that you've been in whether this the fishing game will give you a refund or anything like that you know uh, i don't have the 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 specifics right in front of me i'm just kind of going off memory with this but Mm -hmm. yeah i've I've seen and heard a little bit about this uh i want to say and don't terribly quote me on this but Colorado you could turn your tags back in but um but a lot of things like if anybody's familiar with the service members sailor relief act um they they help you out with a lot of things like PCS TDY and you're committed to something like a uh an apartment or whatever uh kind of helps you uh want to say get out of it I can't come up with a better word mm-hmm. like a but but if you have tags say you drew a coveted tag in this unit or that unit of state, you know, get with the game and fish department. And I just wanted it to be highlighted that you could, you know, talk to them and, and say, Hey, look, you know, uh, I just got picked up for a deployment and I will leave a week before season starts and I won't be back for six, eight months or whatever. And I feel like a lot of times, uh, even if they don't have regulations set in stone for it, they might work with you because you're active duty. And I was one of the, the fringe benefits is so many people, especially in the, game and fish department are very understanding with, Hey, the military happens sometimes and there's nothing you can do about it. And so there's some States that will, you can turn your tag back in, get your points back. And uh, some States will even refund your money. Uh, it just depends. Um, but I don't, I don't have the specifics in front of me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that just talking to them uh, in, in most cases, just talking and uh, to them, they're more than willing to try to help you out if they can, uh, especially if there's yeah. not something specifically expressed in the regulations. If you just call up mm-hmm. the game and fish department and like, Hey, so this is, this is the, what's going on. Um, I know a lot yeah. of them have like a, 
a health clause. So if all of a sudden you're super ill and you can't participate in a hunt, you can push those tags off to the next year or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So just, just be aware of that as a, as a member of the military is you may be forced to not participate in that hunt that you applied for. And uh, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're drawn for a, an, a moose or a goat or a sheep or something like that, which is a once in a lifetime, essentially, um, you may have to try to get creative with sal- salvaging that tag. So, so just be aware of it. Yeah. It could happen. I, I know many people that they're, they were notified a week ago and now they're on a plane. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that happens all too often. That stuff can happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but as soon as you get a, one thing I wanted to add to it was as soon as you get <clears throat> a heads up, you know, if you know, in four or five weeks, you're going to, you're going to be deployed, you know, give that, that should be the first thing you think about it. Well, one of the first things you think about is, is giving them a call, you know, I wouldn't wait till, Hey, um, wheels off the ground headed overseas for a six month deployment. If I was notified three months ago, you know, I would, yeah, exactly. Some, sometimes those processes take a while, especially if it's not set in stone regulation, they might have to check with the director or the department head just to see, and they might make an exception for you. But if you're, you know, a week out from deploying, it might not go as quickly as you'd expect it to. So sometimes you get backlogged. Exactly. All right. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't really have anything else to say on that. So let's go ahead and jump into at least the last topic that I had on my notes. Um, I know you might have some more stuff so we can jump into that Mm -hmm. after, but, uh, fitness and, uh, Mm -hmm. so, and how it applies as being beneficial in the military as well as in your hunting life. You know, I, my personal opinion on that is if you're fit enough to do backcountry hunting, you have a pretty darn good chance of being able to score high on a, at least an Air Force PT test. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what the other branches of the military have set in stone, but, uh, but I, I feel like, yeah, if you're like with you living in Idaho, I've seen some of that terrain. If you climb those mountains, the PT <laughs> yeah. test is not going to hurt you. And, and that kills two birds in one stone. Just like we talked about the EPRs and volunteering earlier was, with fitness, you know, if you're working out, you know, I, I'm trying to get myself on, on a lot of these fitness programs. Like I love the EXO put out a free fitness program not too long ago. that was like calisthenic workout and using uh, their backpacks and, and just, just sandbags. And that's just keeping yourself in shape. And, and you can use your gear to kind of help break it in too. And, mm-hmm. and that, you know, you're training for that coveted tag, that goat tag or that, that moose tag. And, you know, you're also training for your PT test, which is vital for your, your military career. And so, you know, keep that in mind both ways, you know, because, you know, your tag is, is once a year. And so you train all summer for that tag and then, then, then the, the hunt happens and you're done with it. Well, you should be getting right back into fitness as soon as that hunt's over because you also have your PT test and then you're just helping yourself out by extending your training season for the following season. Exactly. Uh, so I just, I think it's so vital to, to tie the two together. Um, really really pays dividends for you know not only benefiting yourself in the hunt and making your hunt more enjoyable and last longer but you're also benefiting your career at the same time uh, exactly. i know i struggle with fitness i'm kind of a bigger boy um so i ride the line a lot and you know i definitely have a lot to improve on and, and I, i'm so happy to see that that'll help me out uh, both sides of the house not only better hunts but 
a better PT test, which means I have to test less often. I'm usually exactly. a six month kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> and this last year I scored my first 90. And so nice, it gives me nice. a little more room to, to work on things and not, not have to worry about stressing over it. So, Absolutely. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to talk. And if I can't add to it. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, if I can, fitness isn't just physical. I'm, I'm thinking mental fitness as well. Uh, I think in the off season, you know, uh, don't just be on the treadmill. Don't just be running around the block. Get out and do some some other mental fitness as well. You know, getting out and doing competition shooting uh, to kind of train your eyes, your hands, and, and getting out there and actually tying it in because that's the worst thing I have. Physical fitness uh, dilemma is that, like, I, I don't always tie it in together. So I'm sitting there running on a treadmill for 40 minutes, and then I'm like, man, what is this? I get bored and I get uh, discouraged. But if I'm over there running – you know, say like a 5k with somebody and we're talking elk hunting the whole time, I'm just going to enjoy the heck out of it or climb a mountain or something. Or, you know, if you're running and gunning for like a competition shooting, then that's keeping you active and keeping you like in the game and focusing on other skills too, like your shooting, your accuracy, uh, handling your firearm and, and pressured environments. So I absolutely. Think that's pretty cool. Exactly. Um, so now I'm, I'm just going to speak on sort of like mountain hunting, at least right now. Uh, because that's that's pretty much all I trained for because so last year um, I was I was doing I thought great as far as my my physical fitness because I could always score at least a 95 on my Air Force PT test so here hunting season came around and I drew that elk tag last year and I got out in the field and I darn near killed myself and it was just, it was, it was a three mile pack out and I didn't really think that was going to be a big deal. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fit. I, I passed the PT test. No problem. It's not a big deal. So that's where, um, I think it was my, my second trip packing out meat. Um, I realized that I needed to prepare for, for hunting season instead of a PT test. So that completely changed my workout routine since then. And um, unfortunately, since busting my ribs, I haven't been able to really go and, and hit the, haven't been able to hit the gym like I'm used to. And uh, I know it's going to kill me as soon as I'm able to get back to the gym. So, um, mm -hmm. so, so keep in mind where you're going to be hunting and what you're going to be doing. If it's real rough terrain, like it is up here in the, the Pacific Northwest area, if it's mm -hmm. real rough like that, make sure you're training for it um, because mm -hmm. you may be going a few miles in the backcountry and having to pack out an animal that's uh, you know, five, 600 pounds, 700 pounds. If it's a moose, it's going to be even more. So, mm -hmm. so keep that in mind and, and make sure you're prepared. Yeah, I can't even test for that in the prairies I'm, I'm in flat country i mean we get a little bit of elevation change and i mean elevation change like 20 feet yeah you know, not not two three hundred feet or more but uh even still like i've noticed in my fitness uh like i keep reverting back just to waterfowl hunting because it's what i do the most here um but waterfowl hunting you know when when my buddy doesn't come along and we don't bring his dog i'm running sprints all day <laughs> uh is you know we get up and we'll shoot a couple of birds and i'm 
20 yard dash to go pick up this bird 10 yard dash to pick up that bird and i'm running back and you know i have wounded a few few birds here and there it happens in waterfowl hunting so you're chasing after wounded birds yeah, yeah. you know that's a workout in itself and <laughs> and so uh so you know keeping in shape for that and it keeps me in shape you know it pushes back on me or trudging through the water uh with the waders on man if if, if anybody's ever had waders and gone through swamp mud before they they know it is very ab intensive and very uh leg intensive you know it's like walking through a quarter mile of swamp exactly (laughs) yeah so so definitely focusing on that i know there's a lot of a lot of programs out there that will help you i know it can get pretty bored boring going to the gym and trying to come up with your own workout routine so uh, Mm i know there's a lot of a lot of of websites out there that that'll put that put together really good workouts and they're a lot that are hunt specific um mm-hmm. uh, let's see i think there's mountain tough does uh does a real good job they have a program that you can subscribe to uh mountain ops is, is really good um I, I utilize a lot of their stuff and they have some really good workout programs that are they include on their website uh that are hunt specific so that's, uh, yeah. that definitely and helps it, break up the monotony of just being on a treadmill or being on an elliptical and just getting bored. Yeah. And, and the gym time does help. I mean, it definitely does pay dividends when you stick to it. <clears> but, uh, one thing that I'm going to try and start doing this year is setting small goals. You know, my last year I, I didn't stick with it because I was just like, Hey, I have one big hunt at the end of the year. That's all I'm training for. So after about two months of running on a treadmill and staring at a TV screen on a treadmill, I was I was over it mentally. Um, and then that hunt kicked my butt, but, uh, but so such your, such your smaller goals, you know, we talked about like competitions, uh, for shooting sports. There's a lot of that in the summertime, whether it be archery or skeet shooting or trap shooting, or, uh, like I just started looking into long range rifle shooting. I'm kind of curious to check that out. Uh, a lot of that's very physical. You're not just sitting behind a gun. You know, I was watching a video earlier of the, the precision rifle shooting. They're running matches back and forth, just like pistol guys. And they're shooting their rifles at longer ranges uh, within seconds, you know. Um, and so that like trains both your physical fitness because you're, you're running sprints and then you're trying to work with your heart rate and your hand-eye coordination to put a shot on target quickly. And it just, it breaks up the monotony of sitting in the, the gym all the time. And it actually puts you behind a firearm, pushing your limits, testing your heart rate, testing your, your fitness. And it really kind of, helps you with the short-term goals, uh, to, to reach the long-term goals. Absolutely. Uh, even, um, even I didn't get to do it because of the Corona this year, but I was really going to try and get into shed hunting, you know, shed hunting in the area that I hunt. So basically going up and down the hills where I go all the time, but in off season, just chasing after shed. Uh, there could be multiple ways of doing it. Just get out there and be active, whatever floats your boat. True. And, uh, yeah, and that's one of the, the things that I really started training on before I got injured is um i set up uh set up a couple archery targets um and i would do my normal workout and just get myself super exhausted and then i'd go and and shoot a couple quivers of arrows and just get myself used to being completely exhausted and still trying to make a good shot at 25 30 yards so mm-hmm. just so you're ready because you know, the, the hunting area isn't isn't going to be easy on you. You're not going to be just sitting still. You're possibly going to be moving quite a bit to get into position. So you're probably going to be exhausted. So, mm-hmm. so keeping that in mind um, with your training. So 
realizing that you're going to have to have some level of precision while being exhausted. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. and it all pays dividends when you, you know, you spend a year doing that stuff and your hunting season comes around, it'll be a night and day difference. I definitely have a lot to improve on, but I notice I notice the years that I work hard and the years I don't work hard, it makes a difference in my success, not only just my enjoyment of the time out there. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, do you have any other thoughts or topics that you'd like to cover? I know we've been recording this one for, uh, I think we're probably going on about an hour and a half or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I do. Uh, I've always got stuff to talk about. I could talk anybody here <laughs> off. Um, I, I was sitting here taking notes while we're, while we're finishing this up and, and I've got ideas talking. I just got out of reloading and, you know, I heard your, your podcast talking about gear and I have stuff to add to it. Like I'm a coffee fanatic. And okay. So, I mean, it's all kinds of different things. We can go down a rabbit hole if you really want to, if you got the time. <laughs> well, what I'll do is because we're, we're coming up on a really long episode here. So yeah. what we'll do is we'll talk off air and um, yeah. we'll set up uh, cause I've actually got a, another buddy that just got into reloading and I've been doing it for a while. So maybe yeah. we'll try to get him on here as well. We'll do an episode about reloading specifically and what hey, we've all run cool. into doing that. Um, and uh, just sort of break it up a little bit, but, uh, but I think we can do, we can work on that. So, awesome. so I think we'll go That's ahead and call this, day. call this an episode. Um, this will at least keep our listeners busy and a good hour and a half workout to listen to. So, <clears throat> but, uh, but all right. Well, uh, any parting words before we sign off today? No, man, I, I appreciate it as always you having me back and, and I really am so thankful to, to be able to share this knowledge that I've, I've gained in my experience and get, hopefully, hopefully change somebody's outlook and help them uh, get out to the outdoors hunting, fishing, weather station, wherever they're at. Uh, I hope this helps them. So I, I appreciate it, man. It really means a lot to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we love having, having you back on here. It's always, always a, a great conversation having you on and, uh, and also, if uh, any of the listeners out there, again, uh, I say this in every podcast, is if you have any topics that you would like us to cover, or if you would like to be a guest on the Active Duty Hunter podcast, uh, just go ahead and contact us directly through our social media, um, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram. Just let us know, and uh, we'll be sure to either get back to you if you want to be on the podcast, or we'll incorporate your ideas for topics on later episodes. So we're going to call it a day for this episode, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>